You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. What is Animal World? And who is C.S. Lewis really? Today we're going to be discussing the book Surprised by Joy by C.S. Lewis. Uh, this episode is for anyone. Uh, it's going to be one of our more blatantly Christian episodes. But hang in there. He really lived a fascinating life. I think it'll be worth your time. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Systematic Geekology, episode number 47. We are the priests to the geeks. And when I say that, I don't mean that we're actually priests, but rather in the more biblical sense of being mediators between Greek culture and uh, Greek geek culture and the Bible. It's not a trap. I just love C.S. Lewis. Joe loves C.S. Lewis. It's just going to be a fun time talking about a fascinating person's life. Um, but before we jump in, guys, make sure you're on our Facebook group, our Instagram, all of that stuff, so you can see what we're doing. We have a really fun community over on Facebook. It's uh, The Facebook group is Priest of the Geeks, and everybody just shares different posts, and we have a blast over there. I am Joshua Knoll. I am a fourth-year biblical study student, and I recently got a new phone case that's all Kingdom Hearts themed, getting ready for that 20th anniversary coming up. Super excited for all the announcements that will be coming. We might do an emergency pod, depending on what they say. We'll see. I am Joe. I am a marketer, broadcaster, um, and I recently have been going back through um, all of the like 80s to 2000s versions of the different Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cartoons. Ah, wow. Fascinating times. I, they, they definitely had a sweet spot, and I don't think that it's the more recent cartoons. Oh, That's yeah, no, me. the last good one was the <laughs> early 2000s one. Yeah, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll just, I'm just going to agree and, and move on to C.S. Lewis. <laughs> That is today's subject. We're going to be talking about C.S. Lewis's book, Surprised by Joy. Um, for those who don't know, it's not technically an autobiography. He says in the beginning, hey, this might read like that, but really it's a testimony. And the way he explains it is the beginning, he kind of details his life, and then he just covers the main points of his salvation story, as opposed to every aspect of his life. Which, hey, take it for what it will. He lived a fascinating life. Um, the reason we're doing this is, A, give you some context for the Narnia series we've been doing, talking about those books, so you guys can kind of see who wrote it, what inspired some of what he did there, and also because we're stalling so that we can do Lion, and the, Wh Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe for Easter, because that's super important to us. It's also important that we be honest with you guys. <laughs> um, but that being said... Um, I do think this book does a lot of good in helping you understand who is it who wrote Narnia? What was he thinking and how these kind of allegories you see in those books played out throughout his life and the significance in there. Um, like I said, this is a testimony autobiography kind of thing. So we're not going to summarize all of Lewis's life for you guys. Um, rather, I'd rather take the time to just talk about what impacted us the most personally. So, um, Joe, what stood up to you most in this book? So the thing about the thing that draws me to C.S. Lewis, I'm finding is that he is the type of person that gives lyrics to things that a lot of people 
feel or contend with or take issue with or have experienced or so on and so forth. He's one of those people that has this way of presenting things in a way that's reachable to the common person, to like the everyman that I'll, I'll say it. He does better than any of his contemporaries, in my opinion. And, you know, that also stands to the fact that like, I'm a bigger Lewis fan than I am any of his contemporaries. I think he's a better author. I think he's a better storyteller. I know you don't agree, but that is probably the thing that stands out the most is that there are so many aspects of his story that as he's going through these things and expressing these things and as we're going through the timeline of events and we're seeing, you know, kind of the ebbs and flows of his story that I feel like I could resonate with because they're just, they're very reachable. They're things that a lot of Christians go through and they're things that they're, they're aspects of life that need to be contended with and need to be wrestled with for a lot of people in authenticity, not in this manner of we're going to, you know, these are the things that we don't talk about. No, these are the things that exa- these are exactly the things that many people need to talk about in order to have that deep, rich relationship with God. Yeah. So <laughs> Before I word vomit, all the main points that stood out to me in this book, um, <laughs> just because I feel like I have to do the hot take. I feel like it's just it's necessary that we disagree. Like, it's just it's just necessary for, for Josh and Joe to be on an episode. It's just something that has to happen. Um, I will say, I think he was the greatest writer of his time. Um, I I personally think he is the greatest theologian to ever not consider himself a theologian. Um <laughs> And overall, I I admire him more than any other author, just hands down, period. My bookshelf filled with Lewis is filled with more of his works than the library or the bookstore and has been for at least 10 years. That being said, I don't think he's a good story writer. I love his other stuff. A lot of his stories kind of fall flat for me. Ranson kind of being the exception, but even that. I find the concept more interesting than how he actually articulates his story. But that's semantics at that point. So who really cares? But his theology is great. The way he reaches people are great. Clearly, these stories have impacted people for his generation and then our generation. There's no doubt that he is one of the greats. I just had to throw out there. I don't love Narnia. I do like it. I love that other people love it because man, does it make some great points. Did you want to respond? Uh, I mean, other than the fact that you're wrong, that's no, uh, I would agree with 90% of what you said, but I also think that I, I think that especially as I've gone through these companion pieces to the Narniad, these companion pieces to the space trilogy, the um, these companion pieces to the different works that Lewis has done, and really by by 
by osmosis, I've also been taking in companion pieces to some of the other Inklings work and things like that, that I'm finding that so much of this is so subjective and written in such a way that it's going to resonate with the personality type that it's supposed to resonate with. Narnia is going to resonate with people that enjoy that sort of writing. The Lord of the Rings is going to uh, resonate with people that, you know, are pretentious. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, Low blow, Joe. (laughs) Well, I mean, the truth hurts. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding for all. I know I know. I am absolutely in the minority of people that prefer the Narniad, but still. Um, you know, but to me, that to go back to Lewis squarely, that's part of what, to me, speaks to the talent that he had as a writer and as a storyteller, because he was able to take these different concepts and reframe them in different ways to be accessible to different audiences. If you're looking for more of an apologetic point of view and things like that, like the more beat for beat his actual theological works, look to his theological works. If you're looking for something that's more sci-fi flavored and a little bit more... um story than like uh really like uh but like this this is very clearly a an an allegory and all of that kind of stuff um then go for the space trilogy if you like that allegory and you like fantasy and all that kind of stuff go for narnia but there are three distinct pieces to a greater whole of a writer that just was able to express this whole god thing in a way that is just I don't know, mind-blowing for me for somebody that's outside of, like, the the theological writers. Like, I can point to to writer Christian writers that may be considered better at writing Christian works, but we're talking about life stuff. We're not talking about telling stories with these other people, people like John Eldridge, people like Brendan Manning, people like that. They're, they're just, they're book writers. We're talking about a guy who told stories that were immersive and then pointed to the source material. Yeah. So something from surprised by joy, which um, explains why I love Lewis so much and why I think he's a better theologian than theologians are. He studied literature when he comes to the Bible, he's not coming to it from someone who studied how to think like hundreds of people before him thought or how to read it this correct way. He's thinking he is coming at it from someone who understands how books work. He spent right. his entire life understanding how literature works, which is why when you read his take on like the Psalms or a hundred other things, it is going to be unique. Um, I'm going to save some of that. For our bonus episode on Patreon, we're going to talk some about C.S. Lewis's theology. If you guys want to hear that, jump on over there. But I do want to kind of hone in on when we're talking about how good of a writer he is. Um, I, I want to get your opinion on this before I share my opinion. Would you say that if you had to say what one of his works best argue made the argument for Christianity. I know a lot of people go to mere Christianity for, you know, his apologetics. What would you, would you agree? Would it be mere Christianity for you? Or is there another work that you think better explains his view of salvation? 
I think that mere Christianity is the best explanation of the what's meaning what does he believe about this? What does he view as Christianity? Kind of a, a template, if you will, for the church. And I'm talking large C. That to me doesn't read as testimonial. That's more of a instruction guide. I, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish mere Christianity. I think it's a great book. But to me, that's more of a message to the people that are already a part of the system rather than anybody outside of the system. To me, something like Surprised by Joy does a better job of showcasing how one goes from unbelieving to believing or skeptical to sold out or, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, I, okay, what I'll say, and again, some of this we'll say for the other episode, but uh, mere Christianity is a is a great explanation for why he believes Christianity is the best answer. If your reason for not being a Christian is because you can't logically get to it, by all means, mere Christianity might be the best witnessing tool there is, period. But I don't think that's most people's reason for not being Christian. Um, right. I'll say I, I think mere Christianity is a solid two plus two equals four. And if you just want to know how to get to four – great stuff. If you're right. looking for how someone experiences their faith, I think this is a much better witnessing tool. And of course, I have to say the one that to me speaks most about what Christianity is, is actually the four loves by C.S. Lewis. Yeah, I would say that, later. <laughs> I would say that that's probably one of the better of his books, but staying on topic, I would agree that you know, for more, for we, re, we recently got into a conversation on my show about mm -hmm. kind of what brought us to the apologetic stance, the different things that we contended with the different thing, the different aspects of that, because that whole thing of being an apologetic work or a witnessing tool or whatever you want to call it is a little ambiguous at times it's it means different things to different people because it's so it encompasses so many different things i would agree with you that by and large most people don't approach god from a logic standpoint they approach god from an emotionalism standpoint and I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying that this is all all in how you wrestle and reconcile with this whole God thing. And so if I, I would agree that if if you're looking for a handbook, if if the person that you're ministering to is a is a very logical thinker, then maybe mere Christianity would be the best bet. To me, this hits on more things that are aspects of the everyday life and the muck and mire of life that is more translatable to more people. So if I had to pick one to go for, depending on when you ask me, I may also pick the four loves, but keeping it on, on topic – 
this is one of those works that I would absolutely point to because like, like I said, you know, we think about these, these literary Titans, right? We think about these people that at this point in history, they are historical figures. And so there's countless conversations, sermons, books, podcasts, all this stuff that's written or done about these people. And so it's easy to kind of inflate them at times uh, as, as being these predominant thinkers and all of that kind of stuff. But to me, this reads like this is a dude who had to go through, through some things in order to get to the cross. Yeah. That me is incredibly translatable. Yeah, I'll say um, this through his story, you kind of see the positive end of what Christianity can be. And I think that that'll win a lot of people over um, Four loves by comparison. I'd say is almost the negative. It does a lot of showing how everything you have lacks and how the only thing that will actually fill it is salvation. So kind of two sides of a different coin, even though Four loves isn't a story in the same way. Anyway, back to this book. Um, I think, Joe, could you explain to them, why is it surprised by joy? Why is joy such an important part of Lewis's story? Um, I think the best way to put that um, is, is to look at the kind of course of events and things that um, – led to the I think the best way to answer that is looking at how he reconciled this whole thing, how he dealt with this whole thing because he goes from this this point of lapse to recovery. I guess is a good way of putting it. You know, there's these longing issues of the heart that he talks about these longing issues of looking for, you know, as the old song goes, looking for love in all the wrong places. He's, he doubts and then comes back in such a way that it was almost, you almost get the air that when he writes, he was the most reluctant conversion story that you can read about. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he didn't come out he didn't come to this in the in the same kind of way that you hear a lot of stories come about. It wasn't this expressed I'm going to do this. I'm going to prove this. This is what I think. This is where I'm hedging my bets. It's more of a God snuck up on him sort of thing. <laughs> and so that's why I say like you have to in order to fully get yes, we can point to that. And and that's kind of the shorthand answer of it's, you know, it's almost a story of, of like I said, God kind of sneaking up on him and, and it, it kind of being under his nose and all that kind of stuff. But in order to really appreciate the destination, you have to see the process of the journey because it all speaks to each other. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Um... So early in the book, you you go through his family. He has the loss early on. He ends up moving to this big empty house, which was some of the inspiration for the kids' home in *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*, where they yeah. find that empty wardrobe and all that. 
And it's just so interesting. He's all these dark moments. Christianity was there, but it wasn't like important to him or their family, really. It was just there. I think that kind of resonates with some people. And what was fun is that, not fun, what was interesting is even in these dark moments of stuff, he'd have something like Animal World. It was just this place that lived rent-free in his head where his imagination just created this whole world where animals talked and all this stuff. And it would entice in him something that he called joy that was different from happiness to him, where it was like almost a sense of fulfillment that left him longing more. Right. And uh, which, ironically, he says Animal World had nothing to do with Narnia and just did not inspire it at all. <laughs> it was in the book. And I was like, there's there's just no way that it didn't inspire it at all. It had to at least have some inspiration. Like, it just it had to. Right. Anyway, you know, he goes through, um, he's in World War II, and he's, his college story gets really dark. You know, where the stuff that happens there, we probably couldn't mention on this podcast without getting explicit thrown on it. <laughs> Well, so I want to I want to stop there for just a, for just a quick second Please because do. this played a part in kind of the overall nigh distrust that he expresses because you got to remember in this in this book we're only talking about the last two chapters if if I'm correct that actually talk about his jump from atheism to theism. Yeah. It's not like this whole thing is about like the the like this the you know it's not the, the whole thing isn't a Christian love story. It's a real take of a guy's life and so the the school that we're talking about the guy that was the head of this school was actually not long after Lewis left the school was committed. He was legitimately insane. And found to, found to be nuts, and what just I guess a good a good catch all phrase to throw on it is torture, like just absolute torture of these students, purposeful bullying, all kinds of stuff. And trust me, guys, I'm only using that one because that's about the only one that I could think of that doesn't make this a much different podcast. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know when he was. I guess in boarding school, um, then in college, even it gets, um, I'm trying to think of a word that I can use for this. Um, some of the stuff that happens is just downright disturbing, um, and inappropriate that happens at that school. And it ends up in order to get a lot of the jobs and stuff where he lived is people being part of these fraternities and different stuff and mm. committing acts that he just couldn't do. Even as a non-Christian, he just could not bring himself to do. And it was so fascinating how he lived in doubt. He lived in darkness. And yet there kept being those moments that where he was like, he felt that little spark of joy just for a moment that let him know there was something more. But he didn't draw on that. He drawed on the darkness. He drawed on the doubt throughout this book. And what was really interesting to me, and this could be, you know, a lot of times we like to read ourselves into the story, is part of his failings in college was more to do with he couldn't study the way that other people did. Like he just wasn't able to pay attention in that way, which, you know, for me went, Hey, I wonder if Lewis could have been ADHD or some right. kind of part of the mental health, you know, anxiety or something, you know, if he was part of the mental health community, because, you know, at that point we didn't have a lot of the language for those things. Right. Um, but he ended up, which I thought was a great idea. He ended up in a school where basically it was a one-on-one -on -one kind of tutoring where he learned that way. 
eventually, if I'm correct, it's Oxford he ends up being a professor at. Yes. Is that where he is that where he meets Tolkien? Does he meet Tolkien at Oxford? Yes. Yeah, I'm that's where sure they started. Yeah. And basically, Tolkien's the one who eventually wins him over. Um, Joe, did you want to talk some about that or I don't want to just tell him the story? <laughs> well, it's they can read it. Yeah, no, I mean it it's it's interesting when you when you look at the way that he interacted with his contemporaries, especially the Inklings. He he and Tolkien almost I almost get the vibe from them like it's like it's brothers, right? Like like sibling rivalry sort of sort of thing. Like you know, I can I can bust your chops, but let won't be tied <laughs> anybody else that bust your busts your chops, sort of thing. Like that's the kind of the the relationship that I get from them. But the, but you push, you watch these two push each other in such a such a way that you don't. That it's almost like they were responsible for a lot of the things that we now as nerds and we now as fans appreciate about um you know about some of the the seminal works from these people yeah for sure and it's just um we didn't even mention half of the stuff in this book i mean like he well i guess i did i mentioned he was in the war we didn't really talk about it um some of his stuff were in the city that got dark i mean it's truly phenomenal how a book called Surprised by Joy has been so much of the story describing just pure darkness that he lived in. Right. There's a there's a quote that I want to read that I think does a very good job of um, giving a thesis statement to how he viewed this whole joy thing and what he means by joy. Joy is distinct, not only from pleasure in general, but even from aesthetic pleasure. It must have the stab, the pang, the inconsolable longing. Mm. There are these signposts that he talks about. He realizes that joy is kind of like this signpost to those that are lost, pointing the way, and that its appearance is not as important when we have found the road and are passing signposts every few miles. Yeah. That's part of why we talk about when, when we're talking about this. No, we're not talking about a super happy journey. We're talking about in the midst of darkness, you can find the hints of light. It's a lot easier to find those hints of light. Yeah. And I, I like I like the the signpostage imagery, right? When you're not necessarily going on the right path, that does not mean there will not be these moments of joy. In fact, there will be signs that say, "Hey, go this way." Right. And then when you go that way, it's it's almost like going to Disney World. You're going to see more and more signs the closer you get of, "Hey, Disney. Hey, Disney." And I I think that's a really good description. Um before we get to our theological themes and kind of wrap up and stuff, I did want to ask it, kind of bring it back to nerd world. Joe, do you think we can see this theme of joy in his writings for Narnia? How does this story inform the books? 
Yeah, I think that that is exactly the case. I think that one of the things that I personally enjoy about Narnia is, aside from just the way that he presents the divine, right, Aslan, the uh, Narnia as a whole, so on and so forth, is that there are there's real aspects to this. There's hard aspects to this. It's back and forth. It's it it it's not afraid to be um, honest about circumstance in a lot of ways. But you find this way of you find that he has this way of expressing that randomly peppered into each one of these stories and each one of these different um, scenarios, regardless of who the main character is, because we know that Narnia covers (laughs) a large stretch of time of Narnia. So we cover a lot of different, not just the kids, not the original kids, but a lot of different um, people and players and things like that. But it's still the same theme of darkness hinted and accentuated, accentuated with light and with goodness and with joy. Yeah. Y'all just did, um, horse and his boy was the last part of the series last month. And wow, what a story of darkness. And then when Aslan shows up and says, Hey, all of these signs that you saw throughout were actually me. Right. Mind blowing. Great book. Great stuff. Um, before we get to today's verse, I want to let you guys know again, you should really check out our Patreon. We're going to be talking more about Lewis's theology on there. Um, we do a weekly D&D, all kinds of stuff you guys could be a part of. Right now, if you're the, in the next like 10 people to join or so, you get access to everything regardless of what tier you join at. Highly recommend that. Check it out. So, Joe, um, <laughs> I feel like everything we talked about was theological and philosophical themes. Well, um, I mean, with this, with this one, we, you know, I... I have to now turn based off of what you said and kind of turn and break the fourth wall a little bit. Yes, there is a theological aspect to this show. And so for those of you that aren't Christian that, but, but still, you know, interact and enjoy and all of those things. Hi. Um, glad you're here. Absolutely. Uh, but the reality is, is that we are all under the same banner that outside of the nerd portion of it, yeah, we're all Christians. And yeah, we celebrate and we talk about different nerddoms and things like that. But we're always going to bring it back to home base in a lot of different ways. And when you're talking about nerd culture, that in in this part of the woods, right? We're in this part of town where you don't get away from, you're not able to talk about this without going into, at some point in time, the deep theological aspects of the story. And especially with this, with this sort of book, again, hi, glad you're rocking with us. And, and, and I'm, and I hope that you've enjoyed this particular episode, even though it's more about the author than it is about a particular IP or nerddom, but with something like this, it's so 
important to take into consideration that there is an aspect of enjoying these stories where it's also celebrating the author. It's also celebrating the person who wrote the material. And so this is C.S. Lewis uh, year. We are going through periodically throughout this year and discussing these different things. Yeah, this book is, is, is firmly in the camp of his theological works. You know, yes, there's there's arguments, there's innuendo, there's there's allegory behind some of his other stuff, some of his more geek stuff that we've talked about <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But this is theology. This is story. This is power in expressing the idea and concept of God and of joy and different things like that. Even though it only takes up the last two chapters of the book, we're talking about a man's story that went from doubting and atheism and materialism and all of that kind of stuff swinging through to, like you said, a theologian among men who didn't credit himself to being a theologian, which sets him apart and in a lot of ways, a class unto himself. Yeah. Well, I mean, in in the same way, um, you know, if we were studying Middle Earth, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, we would have to talk about Tolkien's Catholicism at some point. You have to talk about the author. Um, if you're talking about Alice in Wonderland, Through the Looking Glass, the Jabberwocky, all of that, um, which Lewis Carroll, the author of all that, was a Christian, but you'd probably talk more about his career as a logician and how logic played such a huge role in that story. Sometimes you have to take a step back, look at the author, and just kind of discuss what it was in their life that informed the story. That's what we're doing with this. Now you guys can understand Narnia slightly better. Hopefully that helps you guys. Um, when I think about this book, I naturally think about joy. Who would have guessed it, right? Um, and <laughs> I picked a verse that can easily be taken out of context that I want to put in context for you guys. So we're going to talk about Acts 13, 52. Um, but but let, me, let me build the story for you guys. Before then, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they're on a mission. They're in this town. They're witnessing to people. They're making disciples out in the city. They get persecuted. They get kicked out of the town and said all nasty things about them. They leave. And when they leave, verse 52 says, and the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In context, a lot of people, a lot of people will say that that verse is about the people in the city. I think they're probably right. I've heard before that it means the disciples were Paul and Barnabas. They were still filled with joy after their persecution. Honestly, knowing how Greek works, it's likely that it was intentionally vague and that Paul and Barnabas and all of these new followers in the city all were still filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit. Even after these people try to persecute Paul and Barnabas, they have joy. Even after they try to kick the gospel out of the city, the Holy Spirit moved and the followers had joy. And I, I think joy is inseparable from the Christian walk. And that's something that we learned through Lewis's story. It's something we learned through the book of Acts. And I, I just don't think there is a more important lesson you can take away from this. Um, <laughs> so with that, um, Joe, we talked a lot about joy. We talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. What is an action that people listening can take concerning joy, their faith, anything that we talked about today? What's something that's applicable that people can do? So the biggest thing about joy is that that we need to consider is that that it's, it's a it's a conditional statement. If then, okay. So real joy, happiness is one thing. Happiness is is 
temporary. It's fleeting. It's nice. It's good. It's not bad, but mm-hmm. it's definitely not joy. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Joy comes from the Lord. That sounds lofty, but <laughs> there's a reality to that and a richness in that. So it's not just joy and, oh, I'm, you know, floating on a cloud, playing a harp and all this kind of stuff. No, no, no. It's actual joy in experiencing life and experiencing God and experiencing these things. It's very practical. It's not just this ethereal weirdness. You know what I'm saying? And so practically speaking, look for it. Pray about it. Read about it. You know what I mean? Engage God in a very in a very fundamental level. And outside of that, you know, I'm going to turn for a second, for a second, back to that contingent of you guys listening that might find yourself on the agnostic or atheist side. I'm not just talking. Uh, I'm, there's an aspect of this that it's not just about you've got to read your Bible. That's very good, and we need to be doing that. Not just about <laughs> praying. We, that's very good, and we need to be doing that. It's actually looking for it and listening for it. It's looking at the world around you and taking it in in its full and complete context without precept. That's when you can see things for what they are. That's when you can see the joy in life. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Christian or not, if you've experienced something that has made you wonder if there is more, something that just kind of enticed you in that way that Lewis is talking about, highly recommend reading this book because it's incredibly relatable. It's powerful, and it's honestly just enjoyable to read. It's a good story. So yeah. take it for you will. Plus, he lived a fascinating life. Even if you take none of the faith stuff from it, you won't regret reading that book. It's it's awesome. Um, so that being said, Joe, are you ready to wrap up? I think so. All right. So uh, for recommendations, uh, comic books, games, anime, whatever, you got anything for our listeners today? So to keep in theme with what I mentioned at the top, um, the uh, final uh, the final issue of the Last Ronin is about to drop. So if you haven't been um, keeping up with that, I would absolutely uh, suggest that kind of a dystopian future, only one turtle left alive story that is absolutely fantastic. I second that. It's a great arc. Now that most of it's free on Comixology, I caught up. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, my, my next recommendation, sticking with C.S. Lewis, um, even though he didn't write this one, this is going to be for, for advanced Christianity. It's very challenging. I don't agree with everything in this book. Take it with a grain of salt. But if you just want to read something that's challenging, that's based off of something C.S. Lewis wrote, um, there's a book called Operation Screwtape. And it's set after the book Screw Tape Letters, and it's sort of a war style. How are we ra- waging war on kind of a big picture against, you know, faith and not faith, demons, angels, all that stuff? It's a great book. I would recommend it. Uh, very theological. It's not very fantasy, so I don't expect it to be describing a war between angels and demons. Worth your time if you're just uh, interested in that kind of challenging theology. Um. That being said, uh, again, I am Joshua Knoll. If you, wherever you're listening now, search the Whole Church Podcast, you'll find it. 
and I am also a co-host on that show. You can go to our website, systematicecology.org, hit host. You can find me and Joe there and find some other stuff that we do. Um, Joe, where else can they find you? Uh, so you can find me um, anywhere that you find podcasts slash on Facebook at either um, Buddy Walk with Jesus or Kingdom on the Road. Those are uh, two of the shows that I am a host of. Um, most days I am live on Facebook uh, in some form or fashion. Yeah, yeah that's true. I follow them. <laughs> And uh, next episode, we're going to be talking about Dying Light 2, the new video game, and then zombies in general in media with hosts TJ Blackwell and Brandon Knight. That's going to be a blast. Don't miss it. Go to our website in the description to let us know what you've been geeking out on and what we should be geeking out on. And remember, we are all the chosen people, the geekdom of priests. This was an Anazao Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazao Ministries podcast network.